Fantastic. Wasn't that good? Thank you so much to our worship team. Wasn't worship just on fire this morning? I'm sure that translates online as well. Before we begin to get today, let's just uh, take a moment and pray, if that's okay. So if you're in the building, feel free to close your eyes and bow your heads, and if you're at home as well. Lord Jesus, we just commit the rest of this meeting to you. We thank you that you have graced us with your presence this morning in this building. We know, Lord Jesus, you were here far before anyone opened up the doors, far before we signed into YouTube or Facebook or church online. Lord Jesus, we just pray that every word this morning will be of you. Anything that isn't of you, Father God, just let it drop to the ground right now. But we pray that the words we share and look around and gather around in Scripture this morning will just find good soil in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. Amen. Amen. Well, we are still in this generous campaign. And my title this morning, if you are a note taker, it's always good to take notes, is generous glory. Generous glory. And I'm going to be speaking from 1 Samuel chapter 3. And it may be titled in your Bible something like the call of Samuel or the Lord speaks to Samuel. So let me just give you a little bit of a background to catch you up just in case you're unfamiliar with the story. Samuel had a mother called Hannah. And for many, many years, Hannah was unable to have a child. She, she was desperate for a child, but it just wasn't happening. And in fact, she was looking around at her friends and family members who were all having children, and she was just left in a corner, feeling like the Lord had rejected her. And one year, she went up to the, the church service, and she was sobbing so hard in the pew. She was just pouring out her heart to God. And the pastor of that particular church was a man called Eli and he saw Hannah sobbing in the pews. And actually as Eli looked at Hannah, he started to get a little bit angry and mad because he didn't realise that Hannah was pouring out to to God, her heart, her, her, her emotions. What he thought is she had had a really heavy Saturday night out and she was drunk. So he runs over to Hannah and says, what on earth do you think you're doing? Do you not know that this is the house of God? Look at you, it's disgraceful. You are drunk, you are unkempt, you are high on drugs. What are you doing? And she says, no, no, pastor, that's not right at all. I haven't touched alcohol, I haven't touched drugs. I'm not an LSD, I haven't touched any cocaine. What is happening right now is I am just pouring out my heart to God because I have been so desperate for a child. What you are seeing is my heart just sobbing out on the floor before God. And Eli straight away is rebuked this man of God. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was a bit quick to speak there. Let me pray for you and let me bless you. And Eli puts his hand on Hannah's shoulder and they just begin to pray together. And as the story goes, Hannah goes home after that dramatic encounter she had firstly with God and also with Eli. And she conceives a child called Samuel. But not only that, as Samuel grows up, she has more children, she has more sons and daughters. And she's just so thankful to God, she ends up dedicating Samuel to God. And what that looked like in those days was she took Samuel back to that temple, back to that priest, that pastor called Eli, and she says, do you remember me? I'm that woman who you thought was drunk and high on drugs, but I was just pouring out my heart to God. And God has answered my prayer and abundantly. So I want to dedicate my son Samuel to become a pastor and a minister in the house of the Lord. And I would love you to mentor him and bring him up. So Samuel ends up staying and living with Eli in the church. And this is exactly where we find the story. I'm going to invite Ebony up to come and read us uh, firstly 10 verses, which, as I said, may be headlined something like the call of Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli was... Eli's whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see was laying down in his own place. 
The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you have called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went down and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lay down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of God had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lay down, and if he calls you, you shall speak. You shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at his at this uh, calling at other times Samuel Samuel and Samuel said speak for your servant hears that's brilliant thank you so as I said my title is generous glory and actually the protagonist or the main character you will realize in this account and I think it's really important to remember this actually happened it's not a fairy tale the hero in this account is obviously Samuel And oftentimes when we hear sermons on 1 Samuel 3, it's about the call of Samuel. And I'm going to touch on that, of course, but I think oftentimes we can learn so much about the supporting characters and the people who you may have seen as the second most important character. And I want to look particularly at this man, Eli. We know from what Ebony read there, he was old by the time that the Lord begins to call Samuel. And the first thing I want to tell you about Eli is I believe he was really, really secure. He was really secure. And I think as we begin to get generous in our faith and generous in the walk of the Lord, as we are called to and pertain to by our giftings and the talents that God has put in our life, I want to implore you to be really secure about what it is God is calling you to and has called you to. And we see this with Eli. Now it's quite apparent Samuel, I think it's verse seven said, Samuel did not yet know the voice of the Lord. Three times the Lord called Samuel audibly and how many of us would love that to happen, especially in moments of indecision and we're not sure what's happening. Three times God called Samuel and three times he didn't have a clue what was happening. So as we look at 1 Samuel 3 verses 7 and 8, this is what it says in the Bible. Samuel did yet not know the voice of the Lord, but Eli realised what was happening. You see, Eli knew what it was to hear the voice of God and knew what Samuel was missing. And I want to ask you a question and for you to consider this this morning. What does it look like when you have been so used to hearing God? And we know, I think, as soon as Eli realised what was happening, he told Samuel what was going on. What does it look like for you to hear the word of the Lord for your whole life and suddenly the Lord just stops speaking to you? Because this is what is happening. And not only that, you've been so used to hearing the word of God your whole life. And when it just stops, maybe you're pouring out your heart like Hannah was. Maybe you were just taking a moment to ask God, where have you gone? Why am I getting silence? And then you realise that God is speaking, but he's speaking to the person next door. I want you to ask what, what would be birthed within you when you hear that? And I think Eli could have taken a moment there really to start to to get 
angry and have angst birth within him. He was the priest. He was the pastor. He was the person who represented the people to God and God to the people. And God had stopped speaking to him and instead started talking to Samuel. And I want to tell you that as Eli was listening to Samuel, three times Eli has got up. I think the first time he probably thought Samuel had had a bad dream. So, oh, Sam, just shut up, go back to bed. Stop waking me up. I'm an old man. I need my beauty sleep. Second time, really, Samuel, calm down a little bit. Have a drink of water. Settle down. Third time, actually, this might not be a coincidence anymore. Sit down, Samuel. I want to tell you that God is speaking. And I say that, that Eli is secure. Eli realised that God wasn't speaking to him anymore, but was speaking to his apprentice, the boy next door. And what I think in these moments is Eli could have been really, really offended. But what he did in his security of knowing how God speaks and how God works, he started to actually inform Samuel instead of hindering. And when I moved to Northampton in 2013, I did so with a heavily brummy accent. You might not Realise, but my beautiful accent is from Birmingham. I'm sure you have probably realised. It's a very exotic part of the world, Birmingham. And when I moved to Northampton, the, the first thing people say is, oh, well, you from Birmingham? Because they picked up straight away by my accent and the tone of my voice that I was from a certain place in the country. But as one year turned into two and two to three and three to five and five to eight, actually some of the lilt and some of the intonation of my voice started to sound far less Birmingham and far more Northamptonian because I was conforming to the environment I'm in. One of my best friends is a a guy called Luke. You would have seen him in church news. He's sat at the back uh, of our church now. And and I remember a conversation I was having with Luke when he had seen some friends he hadn't seen for a long time. And he said, oh, I'm I'm a bit annoyed. I said, well, why are you annoyed? He said, well, I'm hanging around you too much. And I said, what do you mean you're hanging around me too much? He said, well, my friend said, I'm starting to sound brummy. And I want to tell you, you conform to those most around you. We are all infected and affected by our environments. I've told you before, one of my favourite Bible verses comes from Proverbs 13, 20. It says, if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You see, who you are around will always start to shape how you sound and how you look. And what I found in this scripture is I was preparing this sermon this week, never seen it before, and I've, I've listened to these verses ever since I've been four or five years old in Sunday school, is how gracefully Eli sort of released Samuel. And why do I say that? Well, actually, where he could have been offended, I actually think he was flattered. Why? Because when God started speaking to Samuel, and don't miss this, Samuel thought it was Eli speaking. I want to propose that Eli had spent so much time around God and in the secret place and in his presence that it had began to run off, rub off on him. So much so that when God starts speaking to Samuel, Samuel thinks it's Eli speaking. How amazing is that? Wouldn't you love people to say that to you? Well, oh, Mike, are you speaking to me? No. Second time, Mike, are you speaking to me? No. Third time, Mike, I am sure you're speaking to me. Hang on, I think it's God speaking. And maybe God does speak with a brummy accent, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) It is God speaking. Eli spent so much time in the secret place with God, he started to Samuel to sound like God. And I want to propose that Eli acted really generously. As I said, he had been so used to 
being in the secret place with God, so used to God speaking to him directly. And as Ebony read, visions of God and God speaking in this time was very rare. Eli was the, the minister between the people and God. He's so used to having this special relationship. And over time, it just began to differ and fade out. And then instantly he hears that God is speaking to Samuel and not him. But I wanna say Eli acted so generously because he helped and encouraged rather than hindered and sabotaged. Eli spent so much time with God, he sounded like God. And here's another question I want to ask you. The first question, as I said, is how would you react to knowing that God was speaking to somebody else and not you? And maybe you're in a desperate situation and all you're hearing is the perfect sound of silence. You're crying out, your heart is aching. And then someone comes in, someone lesser than you, someone less experienced than you, someone who's been saved far less time than you and God is speaking audibly to them. How do you deal with that? Second question I want to ask you is what does the accent and the intonation of your life communicate to those around you? What are people hearing when you are speaking? What are people hearing when they're watching of you? Francis of Assisi famously said, speak the gospel and use words if necessary. Speak the gospel and use words if necessary. What he was hinting at there is our lives should be an audible demonstration how we act, how we serve, how we love of the goodness of God. And when people look at your life, are they saying like Luke, well, actually you sound like Mike? Or maybe they're saying, actually, I can really see God. Here's a lesson for us. There are people in and around our lives who don't yet know the voice of God, but know your voice. There are people in and around your life that don't yet know God's voice, but know your voice. And I want to reinforce the fact, and this will be a sermon I preach time and time again over my tenure here at LCF, whether that's five years, 15 years, 50 years, is the secret place we've got away from platforms, away from life groups, away from church services is so, so important because that's where you hear the lilt of God's accent. That's where the intonation of his words sink deep into our hearts and don't just begin to to give us goosebumps and make us feel warm and fuzzy. It begins to shape and mould how we act and how we talk. Eli could have been really, really offended in this instance where God was speaking to Samuel and neglecting and rejecting him. But actually he was so secure because it is possible that in God's greatest silences, we are being used in the greatest ways. I'll say that again. It is absolutely possible, and maybe you're in a season in your life right now, in God's greatest silences, you are being used in God's greatest ways. And I think that's so, so important to understand because so often we, we equate God's silence with lack of God speaking, but sometimes we just need to hold on the last thing to what God says. I think I've lost control of my slides there, Kev. Will you just come over for me? Be secure, it's possible in God's greatest sciences that God is used, uh, we are used in, in the greatest ways. And I'll tell you what the last thing God said to Eli, we're gonna read it in just a moment. I'm gonna invite Ebony back up. She's gonna show us the last thing that God said to Eli as he encountered then this silence that saw God stop speaking to Eli and start speaking to Samuel. Thank you, Ebony. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tangle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him 
that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what has he told you? Do not hide from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what he seems good to him. Thank you, Ebony. We see there what God says to Samuel. What we don't see is what happens in the chapter previously, Samuel 2. Because God speaks directly to Eli through another prophet telling Eli that he needs to stop uh, tending to his sons because his sons were an absolute disgrace to the priesthood. There's all sorts of things. I'll let you read uh, 1 Samuel 2 in your own time. I'll fly up a few verses in a moment. But the last thing that God said to Eli is you need to back away from your sons because they're causing a nuisance and trouble and actually causing disruption. Eli though, I don't think listens and begins to pursue and push into the plans that Eli had. Of course, these are his sons. He wants them to succeed. He wants them to do well. He wants them to follow in his father's footsteps and he pushes and he pushes and he pushes. First thing I talked about today is being generous in security in your own giftings and where you are and God has positioned you right now. Second thing I I wanna tell you to be really generous in is generous in submission, submission. And this isn't a nice word in our culture, submission, is it? Because what submission screams to a 21st century ear is weakness. We are told time and time again from the moment we are born, you can be whatever you wanna be. Just follow your heart, follow your dreams. Be your own person, independence this, independence that. You don't need anybody to succeed. You just need your vision, your dreams and your goals. Well, actually, that is absolutely countercultural to what God tells us to do. God tells us to submit to his plans. And as I said, it rankles with us and it riles with us because submission isn't something in our language that many of us want to pursue or position ourselves under. Submission, as I said, sounds like weakness. And when we think of submission, it it, it sounds straight away like putting ourselves under something, which of course it is. And in a lot of circumstances, submission isn't good, especially when it's to something that is pulling you away from the goodness and fullness of God. But I want to tell you, when it comes to God and following Jesus, submission in the kingdom isn't lack of freedom, it is fullness of it. I'll say that again. Kingdom submission is not lack of freedom, it is fullness of it. You see, when we look at submission and putting ourselves under something, when we are doing that under a perfect being, submission is absolutely good. When we think of God and and people in culture think of God, if you were to ask somebody who has never been to church, never experienced Jesus or met Jesus, when you ask them to describe Christianity, probably one of the first words that will come out of their mouths is religion and rules. It's about all the things you can't do. Has anyone ever encountered that? You know, Christianity isn't good. It's not for me because you can't do this and you can't do that. 
Well, actually, when we go back to Scripture, even the very first verses in Scripture, Genesis 1, we see God creating. And 10 times in Genesis 1 is this word, let. Let there be. Let there be light. Let there be creation. Let there be vegetation. Let the oceans teem with sea creatures. Let the land teem with with living beings, animals, deer, cows, elephants. And in God saying let, what God doesn't do, he doesn't say let and then tells them exactly what to do. He lets them be. If you look at the very first words recorded from God to Adam, three words, first three words are this, you are free. You are free. You see, when God created us, he didn't create us with what we have to do. He created us with a choice. We are free beings with free will to do whatever we want to do. Now, when I think of submission in the kingdom, it is not something I have to do. And don't miss this. It's something that I get to do. I don't have to submit to the plans and purposes of God for my life. God has given me freedom to do exactly what I want to do. But I have the privilege and the honour of getting to submit to God and to Jesus and his plans and purposes for my life. God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He can see behind and in front and to the sides. I am a finite being and I cannot. When I'm talking about submitting to somebody, I wanted to submit to the person that can see everything and knows everything. I don't want to just submit to Becky. I don't want to submit just to the elders. Of course, I do in in my role and things like that. But when it comes to my life and my calling, I submit to the one who knows absolutely everything about me, before, behind, to the right and to the left. Submitting to God in the kingdom isn't lack of freedom, but fullness of it. And when we get to this conversation with Samuel and Eli, straight away you can see that Eli is pent up. Samuel has had a good night's sleep after God speaking, but I want to suggest that Eli has tossed and turned all night. He's just found out that God wasn't silent to everyone. He'd been silent to him and speaking to Samuel. And he rankles and he wriggles and he's sitting there, I'm sure, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. What does this mean? What is changing? What is happening? And as soon as Samuel wakes up, he hears his little feet pitter and pattering and opening the church door. Eli runs out. This is what he said. And I can imagine him grabbing young Samuel. He's probably only seven or eight years old by his collar and saying, what was it he said to you, Sam? What did God say? Tell me. And look at the language he uses. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. May he punish you if you don't tell me absolutely everything he said. And I can imagine Samuel being a little bit shocked because Eli, I'm sure, had been so gentle for years and years. But instantly, we have got uh, Eli now just, just completely losing the plot with Samuel. And Samuel, it says, tells him absolutely everything that God said. And we heard that from Ebony there, that God is going to punish the house of Eli. He is disgusted with his sons. And this is how Eli replies. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. As I said in 1 Samuel 2, we see this like progression of God talking about Eli's sons. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord, the Scripture tells us. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. And then we see the contrast to Samuel. 
but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. So we've got scoundrels over here, Eli's sons and Samuel ministering before the Lord. Verse 22 and 25. Now Eli, who was very old, he heard about everything his sons were doing and his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. And then verse 30, the Lord promised that members of your family, that's Eli's family, would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. We see Eli trying to push and pull and bring his sons into line. We see in verse 30, the Lord had said that this line, this Levite line of whom Eli belonged, they will minister before the Lord forever. But Eli's sons, they started to push and pull away from that. They started to sleep with women in the church, the Bible tells us. They started to treat the Lord's offering with contempt. And Eli's heart is breaking, but he just can't bring them in line and he tries and he pushes and he tries desperately to to get his sons to listen and to obey, but they just don't have any of it. And I want to suggest that Eli knew much earlier than what came out in Scripture that his sons were not going to be the person or the people that God wanted them to be. But he continued to push and he continued to try and forge his own path. I said a little bit earlier, from the very day we can talk and listen and understand, we are told to follow our hearts. And look at this, what the Bible says about the heart. Proverbs verse 16, 9. In our hearts, humans prepare their course, but the Lord determines their steps. What this is saying is in our hearts, humans, we have dreams and visions of goals and we want to chase them and follow them. And oftentimes when we are submitting to the will and plan of God, those things interline. I believe very, very often uh, if you are living a godly life, God will want to breathe on and, and see your dreams come to fruition. However, the Lord determining our steps, I think is a big, big flag we need to look at because when we are following our hearts in direct opposition to God, this gives me the the image of almost like a rope being tied to the back of your trousers, pulling you in the opposite direction. And we get this friction here where we're wanting to follow our desires and hearts, but the Lord is determining our steps. So we're trying to run to the right and God is pulling us to the left. And again, follow your heart, your dreams and your visions, your heart, your, your goals. What is it that is in you that you can be whatever you want to be? Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else. When we are not submitting to the plans and wills and perfect uh, ideas and, and callings that God has put on our life and we're just following our heart, our heart is deceitful. It means it tricks us. And I want to tell you, church, that our hearts are masters of self-affirmation and self-deception. What I mean by that is if we want to do something, we will make ourselves believe that it is okay to do that. We will affirm ourselves. We will surround ourselves with people who will tell you, well, actually, that is absolutely right. You can do that. You're empowered to do that. And of course, now in the most connected society in the world with the internet, even the strangest of things, we can find people to agree with us and tell us it's okay. And what I mean by deception is maybe if, if we're Christians, we're Jesus followers, we believe we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we start to feel that pull and that tug of the Lord determining our steps, we deceive ourselves and say, oh no, that's not God. God will never do that to me. God loves me and he wants to put me in cotton wool and he wants to, he wants to see me fulfil all my dreams and visions and goals. But our heart is absolutely deceitful and deceptive. I remember being at Bible college my first year. And I was friends with a a small group of people, some of whom Becky didn't approve of, but that's another story for another time. And one of these particular friends uh, had this 
I would say his addiction to marijuana. He, he'd smoke marijuana. How he got through the interview at Bible College, I've no idea. But he would often go down into the grounds and, and get these illegal substances and legal highs and take them at Bible College. And I remember one day just confronting him. He wanted to, to study and, and preach the gospel and believed he was called by God to do that and to evangelise. And I said to him, mate, you can't do this. It's literally against the law what you're doing. He said, but no, there's a plan in it and there's a purpose in it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, there's this scripture in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 and it says, be all things to all men. And it's Paul talking about, you know, if they are weak, and this is a perfectly, honestly true story. I'm not making this up. If you're weak, then become weak. If you're strong, become strong. To the Jews, be a Jew. To the Gentiles, be a Gentile. And he said, there's this whole missing generation in church, the 18 to 30s, in the nightclubs and in the pubs. They love to drink. They love to take drugs. And actually, when they see me as a Christian trying to preach to them, they can't relate to me. But if I'm smoking marijuana and if I'm drinking beer, I am perfectly positioned to be able to communicate the goodness of God in that situation. That is an honest conversation. I haven't made that up. Can you see how the heart can be so deceptive? When we want something so desperately, let me tell you, you can take a a verse in the Bible and twist it to mean whatever you want it to mean. One of my Bible teachers at Bible College, he taught hermeneutics, that's the interpretation of Scripture. He says, a text without a context is a pretext. What he's saying there, a text without a context, a wider picture is a pretext, is you can take any verse in the Bible by itself and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. And this particular lad had taken that verse or those group of verses in 1 Corinthians and took it to mean that he can do absolutely whatever he wants because actually he's furthering the cause of the gospel and the kingdom by smoking marijuana, by taking drugs and by drinking alcohol. Needless to say, he didn't stay at Bible college for very long after that. Uh, Not because I grasped him up, but because he was found out. The point of this is we can be absolutely blinded to sense with those things and people closest to us. When we enjoy something, whether that's a person, a relationship, maybe it's a sinful pattern or thing, we will push and we will push and we will affirm and self-deceive until we get to a place in our lives where we believe that absolutely this is okay. And the more you do it, the first time, maybe it'll rankle a little bit and it'll feel a little bit uncomfortable. But the second time, the self-affirming and self-deception will be a little bit easier. And the third and the fourth and the tenth and the fiftieth, where you get to a point where actually I am completely in the will of God doing this. And I believe this is exactly what Eli had done with his sons. When he had that first report of them doing what they were doing, I believe he was horrified. But as they continued to do it and he continued to rebuke, I believe he started to get far removed, although he was close to it physically, far removed from the situation. He was just getting desensitised to it in his spirit to the point where he thought it will all be okay. What happened? God stopped speaking to him and started speaking to Samuel. And I believe the rest of his life was fine. He was doing nothing personally wrong. He was doing his duties. He loved God. He believed in God. As I said, he even sounded like God. And this is a a dangerous lesson for us to learn. There can be 99% of your life right in the will and purposes of God. And that 1% can pull you so far away from him and you don't even know it. Just as a little side note. But what he was actually doing was this phrase you may have heard before called kicking against the goads. Have you ever heard that before? you kick against the goad. The goad was like um, a long wooden stick with a nail on it. And what you would do is when you were out farming in the fields in Jesus' time, you would 
tweak the back of the cow or the bull to move them along with this metal prod. And kicking against it, obviously, if you're kicking against the sharp metal spike, you're going to be in trouble, aren't you? Stubbing your toe in a whole different level. And actually, this phrase, kicking against the codes, comes exactly from the account we looked at last week of Paul and Ananias. Paul on the Damascus Road. In Acts 26, he's telling a group of people about this amazing encounter he had when he was still called Saul. Jesus showed up to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are kicking against the goats. And the Romans and the Greeks had this phrase of kicking against the goats. And what it meant is ruinous resistance. You were resisting so much, it is deteriorating your life and your purpose. And this is exactly what is happening with Eli. So the third question I want to ask you to consider this morning as you're sat in church or you're watching online is, is there an area in your life right now where you are trying so hard, you are pushing so hard, exerting so much effort and it might be in a relationship, it might be with a thing in your life, I don't know what that looks like for you, but you are just not getting anywhere. I want you to assess it and ask yourself, is this glory to you or is it glory to God? Because Eli, in pushing for his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, was actually nothing to do about the glory of God. It was glory to his lineage and to his family. Family honour in these days, obviously it's still a big thing today if your son or your daughter or your parents embarrass you. But in these days, family honour was absolutely paramount. What Eli was doing in pushing against the will of God and affirming um, his son's actions in not pulling them out of position is he was bringing glory to himself. But actually, it was all in ruinous resistance. So number one, how secure are you where God has put you? Maybe even if you are in a silent period. Number two, what and who are you submitting to? Are you submitting to something for the glory of you, for Mike or for Becky or for Chris or for Greg? Or or are you submitting for the glory of God? And Eli gets to this point, as we read in those, those verses there, 1 Samuel 3, 17, he said, let God do what is good in his eyes. And again, out of context, this looks like a massive humility thing to do. Massively, I'll put everything aside. God, I'm giving it all to you. But there was a process there. As I said last week, the Christian journey is a journey of process. Very often it is time sensitive. It doesn't happen instantly and instantaneously. He got to a process where he realised this isn't good. And he started to submit to God and his plan and turn his attention away from his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and look into where God was speaking, who God's hand was on, and that was Samuel. And he started to become generous, not for his own glory, but for God's glory in succession. And succession, I believe, isn't something we do very well in the church. And actually, we don't do very well in the world. But succession is something that has been on my mind now for a number of weeks, partly because in the last probably six months or so, one of the first things one of our elders said to me is, this is going to sound like a weird thing to say to you, Mike and Becky, because you've only just arrived at LCF in the last 12, 18 months. But I want you to start thinking now about who's coming after you. And often that's a conversation you have after 10 years in the role or 15 years in the role or 25 years in the role, not 12 months. I'm thinking, goodness me, am I getting the sack? Uh, And he said, no, let me explain. Because here at LCF, we want to think kingdom. We don't want to build around a personality or a couple or a style. We want to think kingdom. 
As I said, succession is often done very, very badly in the church. You will see right now, if you, are, if you are in the Christian bubble, there is something happening in the Christian world right now where toxicity in the church is being called out left, right and centre, particularly here in the UK and over in the States. Because so often these ministries that have started completely, God ordained, God breathed, God at the centre, growing from little back street uh, meetings and cafes to these huge mega church complexes. We see in time and time again that these ministries turn their attention away from where succession was called, the kingdom of God, and far more onto the personality of a person. And you will see, if you know, you listen to famous preachers and things in America and in the UK, so often some of these mega churches aren't built around or have, have shifted from being about Jesus to a person. And these massively godly men and women who've had you know, salvations in their thousands underneath them, instantly it's found out there's a moral failure. They've had an affair or they fiddle the finances or there's this culture of bullying in the staff team. And you never see that on the platform on Sunday, but behind the scenes you think, goodness me, there was no accountability there. There was no succession there. And maybe even when really godly ministries of 30, 40, 50 years of faithfully walking with God and then there's, there's been a botched succession plan and, and maybe the ministry's gone to a son or a daughter or a friend and instantly we see the hand of God just move away from it because succession hasn't been thought through. And I want to tell you, church, whether you're in the building or online, LCF isn't Mike's church or Mike and Becky's church. LCF isn't the elders' church. LCF isn't even Elim's church. LCF is Jesus' church. We have the privilege as staff team members, as pastors, as congregation members, to shepherding, to under-shepherding under the high shepherd for a season. We're not going to build around a personality of a person. We're not going to build around a model or a progressive programme. We're not going to build around a worship style or a preaching style or a teaching style. We're going to build around the heart of Jesus. Because when we get succession right, it starts being about us and what we get and starts to be about what's coming afterwards. We don't want to build a village. We want to build the kingdom. We don't want to build a town. We want to build the kingdom. We don't want to build a city. We want to build the kingdom of God. So whereas succession isn't often modelled well, Eli got to this point where he realised that God's hand had moved away from him and his family and started breathing and speaking to Samuel, who we will see later on in coming scriptures, does amazingly. He's the first prophet since Moses and brings Israel into its best years. God is breathing there, Eli gets behind it. When we focus on his glory and not our glory, that church is when the kingdom of God is built. And you might be thinking, well, that's very specific if you're a preacher or a pastor because, you know, that's your job. You build the church, you build for his kingdom. But actually, if you work in Tesco or Asda or in a law firm or a doctor's surgery, or maybe you just look after your kids at home and you think you're less than, absolutely not. The kingdom of God isn't contained to four walls of a church. The kingdom of God is called to go out into the world. So wherever you're positioned and placed, you have a duty of firstly being secure in who you are, secondly submitting to the plan and purposes of God and thirdly thinking about succession. And I want to tell you, we will get it wrong because we're humans. But although we can derail the, uh, we can't, sorry, uh, derail the plan of God, we can only detour it. I'll say that again. We cannot derail the plan of God, but we can detour it. We can turn it away. We see this again with Eli's sons because the plan from God was always that Eli's sons would take over. But because of their attitude and their contempt for God, it detoured where God wanted to go. God, of course, will be here long after us. He was here long before us. He will get his plan and his purposes. We can, though, make a mess of it. So let's get succession right. 
We need to vaccinate. And we're talking a lot, obviously, about vaccinations in this moment in time with COVID. We need to vaccinate against the disease of ititis. It's about me and my glory and my gifting. We need to vaccinate against it. God's plan will absolutely always include you, but it is not about you. And we live in a society and culture that says everything is for you and about you. And this happens in the church. God loves you. God blesses you. Absolutely, but it's half the story. God has a bigger plan and purpose. Vaccinate against I, Titus. My little boys, Judah and Asa, have a book on their bookshelf in their bedroom and it talks about sin. And uh, trying to explain this to a five or six-year-old, there's this line in the book that Becky brought my attention to this past week, which is absolutely brilliant. And I think I'll preach about this for years to come, although it's found in this book for five or six-year-olds. He says, sin is an eye problem. That's why I is at the centre of sin. And it's the eye titus we need to vaccinate against. Not think about our glory, about our preaching, our worship, our teaching, how we're doing, but look at the wider picture. And it's really, really, um, I think, poignant for me when I look at the life of Eli. As I said, Samuel is the protagonist of this story, the whole book. And indeed, the next book is called Samuel. It's not called the book of Eli, it's called the book of Samuel. And Eli is remembered far more for who he released rather than what he produced. And I just felt I'd check in my spirit as I was writing this message. And I felt God just say to me, would you be okay for being known more for who you released rather than what you produced? Honestly, the first thing I was like, oh, I'm not sure. Because we like the affirmation, we like the praise, we like the glory, we like the attention. And we can, we can be humble about it or we can indeed look humble about it. But would you be okay being known for far more who you released rather than what you produced. And I got to a place where I thought, absolutely God. Why? Because it's not about the village of Mike, not about the town of Mike, not about the city of the Nicholses. It's about the kingdom of God. So as the bag come back, let me just quickly summarise. And I'll take you for a whistle-stop tour of a whole chapter there. But I hope you can hear my heart in this as we're talking about generosity. Main meat of this message is about submission. And it's so countercultural. It's so different to what we're taught, even in our classrooms, our education settings, even in our workplaces where we're told to push for the promotion, told to push yourself better. And, and of course, the, the, there's elements of, of that that are absolutely right and okay. But if we're submitting to God, we will always be pulled and directed in the right place. So let's be generous and pursue being secure in who and what God has called us to be. And sometimes that isn't the protagonist of your story, it's playing a supporting role. Again, just like last week, Ananias, without an obedient Ananias, there's no Apostle Paul. And if you read a little bit further in the story through Samuel, without Eli, there's no Samuel. Without Samuel, there's no King David. Without King David, there's no lineage of Jesus. There's there's this little ripple we see happening and we will only see one part of the story here in our lifetime. Goodness me, when we're thinking of succession though, let me tell you that God can do something and will do something amazing through you and in you. Whether you get the glory for it or not, whether you're a footnote or a chapter, God wants to and will use you when you are submitting to his plan. Number two, submit to the will of God, whether that is in line with our own plans and purposes or not. And if it isn't in line with our own plans and purposes, there will be a point where it comes to a head and it will be painful. But I promise you, if you can just settle your heart and your spirit and submit to the will of God, although there may be pain in the night, although there'll be pain in the instant, joy will come in the morning. Thirdly and lastly, let's be actively thinking about succession. 
Who are we coming alongside and imparting to? In the church, in the workplace, at home, in the doctor's surgery, in Asda, who is around you where you can just see God moving? And maybe like Samuel, they don't recognise the voice of God in their life yet. They're just saying, oh, Shirley, did you say something? No. Becky, did you say something? No. Kev, did you say something? No, it wasn't me. Well, actually, is that God speaking? Is it God speaking through you? Lean into it, submit to the will of God and see Him work amazingly in your life. Let's be generous with our lives, even if He doesn't shine the spotlight on us, but on somebody else. I wonder if we can stand as I just pray and we go into our last song of worship. Lord Jesus, everything I've said this morning, I pray that it will just find good soil in people's hearts. Anything that wasn't of you, as we said right at the beginning, let it just be forgotten right now. Let it blow away with the chaff. But God, if there is a seed there that you are speaking to someone particularly, maybe even just one person in this room or online, we pray, God, that we can get in an environment and around people who will water that seed and nurture it. We pray that as we look at the vision of our lives, seeing only one step ahead, that we can trust and we can submit that you are a good God that you have made us free beings and we have the privilege of getting to submit to you rather than having to submit to you. Help us be secure in our giftings and our purposes, Lord, and help us think really, really intently about succession. Amen. Amen.